Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Because it comes from God, it's worthy of a God-sized effort on our part. Would you agree? Because God gave it to me, I'll give it all that I've got. But if, if I could be honest with you, I don't give it all that I've got. I don't know that I could say that in 100% getting real honest. I'm pretty sure that there's more that I could give. Would you say the same? Would you agree with me? I don't know that I'm giving it all that I've got. So I wonder what are some of the things that hold me back from giving it all that I've got. This is not in my notes this morning. This is completely extra. I threw it in last second. But I think that time is one of the things that we say. We say, I just don't have the time to serve God like I'd like to. Would you maybe say that or agree, that, agree with me on that? That if I just had more time. But if you think about it, time is really a statement about our priorities and not our time. Because we all have the same 24 hours in a day, and it's about how I spend the 24 hours. That's really the issue. It's not that I'm out of time. It's about how I use the time that I've been given. And I don't mean that to sound harsh, but some of us all, maybe this will also help you with this, that I find it, and I don't have a Bible verse to back this up, so this is just my, my observation as I've been in ministry these years. And I've seen two different kinds of people. Like there's people that are project-oriented and there's people that are people-oriented. And I would say God made you that way. So there's no, um, no apology necessary for being a project-oriented person or a people-oriented person. We're just two different kinds of people that God has created like that. But when it comes to church and church life and ministry, it's so much about people that if you're a project-oriented person, you feel like you really don't have anything to give. Does this make sense? Because you're not into people like that. And you're not kind of the kind of person that wants to make a five-year commitment to investing in someone else's life. It's just so much of the church is about people, which it should be. But think of it this way. Even the projects in church are about people. And so if you're a project-oriented person, you can accomplish projects in the name of the Lord, and it serves people. For example, like our summer kids club, that's a project because it has a start and a finish. You start a few months ahead of time, they make their plans, they prepare for it, they execute the club, and then when it's over, we celebrate what God did, we evaluate it, and we kind of wrap up the box and wait for next year. It's It's a project. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in the season of life where, the, where what you can give is to serve in a project. You can't commit to 10 years, but you can commit to 10 weeks, and you can say, I'm going to start and finish this. That's legitimate, friends. I want to encourage you with that today. Or maybe you say, I'm just that kind of person. I'm a task-oriented. I, like to st- I love to finish things. And you know... There's one thing I know in ministry, it's one of my frustrating things about being a pastor, which is a people-oriented job, right, is that 
rarely is there a day when I finish. <laughs> Sometimes there's, that's what makes projects really nice. You can start it, you can finish it, you can look at it like mowing my lawn. I like mowing my lawn and then standing there and just, good job, nice job. You can't do that in ministry. There's nothing like that in, in, when it comes to serving people. Is this, am I clear? So what I'm saying is if you're a project-oriented person or you're a people-oriented person, God made you that way. And there's a place for you here. That's that. I also believe this, that when you overcome the obstacles that stand in your way of giving your gift, the obstacles sweeten the gift when you give it. Overcoming obstacles to give your gift sweetens the gift. It doesn't diminish the gift. Which is sweeter? A millionaire who gives 100 bucks to a charitable cause or a 12-year-old kid who spends all summer mowing lawns to save up $100 to give to a charitable cause. You see, it's still 100 bucks. Praise God, somebody got blessed with $100, but there's something about the obstacles that 12-year-old kid overcame in order to get it that just sweetens it. And I'm saying to you that whatever the obstacles are to you this morning, to giving the gift that God's given you to give, by overcoming those obstacles, you're actually sweetening the gift that you bring and not diminishing the gift that you bring. And if that's not a reason to overcome obstacles, I don't know what it is. John Ortberg is a well-known Christian author, and he tells this story about uh, a grocery store chain who hired a motivational speaker to come and to give a seminar to all their frontline employees and rah-rah, motivate them for a day. And at the end of the seminar, the speaker, she gave her phone number out to the people in the seminar, and she said, give me a call if you want to follow up at all. So about a month later, this young man called her, and he introduced himself as Johnny, and he explained that he has Down syndrome, and that he works as a bagger in one of the grocery stores at the checkout line. And he was thinking, what can I give? What do I have to brighten other people's days with? I'm just a bagger. What can I do to really step it up? And he came up with this idea of writing a little encouraging note on a piece of paper and putting it in the top of people's grocery bags as they came through his line. So he started doing this. And it became a thing. And his dad got involved and started helping him, and they would uh, print them up on the computer and then copy them and cut off little strips of paper. And Johnny would go to work every day with a, a fistful of little encouraging notes and have them in his pocket, and he was putting them in people's grocery bags as he checked them out. Well, the store manager noticed after a couple of months that, the that there was a long line <laughs> developing and it happened to form in where Johnny's checkout was. And the store manager thought, oh, no, this is not good, so let me open up some other registers so that people can get checked out because, you know, nobody likes to wait in a grocery store. And so he, he did, and nobody moved. <laughs> and he started talking with the customers, and they said, oh, no, this is Johnny's line. I, I want to stay in this line because I want to get Johnny's note. People were willing to wait in an extra long grocery line 
to get Johnny's little encouraging note in their bag. What I'm saying is, is yes, what I'm saying is, is the gift that you have to bring is worth giving, and the obstacles you overcome to bring it actually make the gift sweeter when you give it. And so let's overcome those obstacles. You see, the most important person here, I mean this with all my heart, the most important person here is you. Because only you can bring the gift that you were given to bring. And if you don't bring it, we suffer for it. The most important person here is you. So who are the, what are the two obstacles that we want to deal with this morning? I want to talk about two specific ones where we underestimate. We underestimate the value of the gift that God's given to us to bring, and we underestimate the power of the gift that God has given to us to bring. And when we underestimate the value and the power of the gift that I've been given to bring, it causes me to hold back and just not give with all the gusto that I could give. And so let's talk about those this morning. First, let's deal with underestimating the value of the gift that you have to bring. Do you know the story of Moses? Of course you do. Everybody's heard of Moses. Do you know how close we came to not getting a Moses? He was born in a slave family. That's the first knock against him. Second knock against him, uh, there was an edict saying, kill every baby boy that's born. He had narrowly escaped that one. Third one, he's floating in a basket in the middle of a crocodile-infested river. Got out of that one. I mean, there's literally, like, we came really close to not having Moses. And then Moses is increasingly disturbed by the injustice that he sees in the Egyptian society. He sees these Egyptian taskmasters abusing his fellow Hebrew slaves. And that began, made his blood boil. And at 40, Moses killed one of the Egyptian taskmasters. He took matters into his own hands, executed justice, dealt with it, except it blew up in his face because it wasn't the right way to handle it. And then Moses spent the next 40 years living as a fugitive in the Arabian desert, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And you wonder, did he ever think, I missed it? I blew it. I had my chance. Moses, every day with the sound of sheep in his ear. And then, you know, the encounter with the burning bush. God ha uh, Moses has this incredible meeting with the Lord. And God says, Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and set my people free. And this is Moses' response. Exodus, Exodus chapter 4. I'll read verses 1 to 5. Moses answered, well... What if they don't believe me or, or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? See, that's a good question, isn't it? What if people don't think that you're being led by God? Then what? You ever been there? I'm trying to give the gift that I have. I want to serve the Lord. And there's people that are telling me I'm crazy for trying to do what I'm doing. What if? 
And Moses has the same question. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they're saying that you're really not here because God's telling you to be here, Moses? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses says, I just realized I completely missed my illustration. Can we back up? You want to give me a second to back up? Ready? Here we go. So this is, uh, this is nothing. It's a pocket full of nothing. And uh, I want to just put it in the water and let it sit there for the duration of the message. And you see what it does as it soaks in the water. I wonder what the purpose of this thing is. Well, we'll discover in a little while after it has a chance to soak. Now we go back to Moses. <laughs> Exodus chapter 4. Moses, God says to Moses, what's that in your hand, Mo? Moses says, um, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Can I get an amen for running from snakes? Amen. amen. Yes, sir. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Can I get a no way for taking a snake by the tail? <laughs> so Moses reached out his hand, and he took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff into his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God says to Moses, Moses, what's that in your hand right there? And I love this about God, because God has the big picture in mind. Think about where God's taking Moses. Hey, Moses, you're about to go over here and stand before the most powerful man on earth and tell him that you're going to destroy his economy by removing a third of his workforce. So this is the big picture vision here. This is where I'm taking you, Moses. But God doesn't necessarily do that. He starts over here. Moses, what's that in your hand? I love that about God. Because he's willing to meet you and I where we're at. Aren't you glad for that? God doesn't say, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh right now. No, no, no. Yeah, we're going to Pharaoh. That's going to happen. God's got that in control. But right now, what do you have in your hand? Let's start there. Thank you, Lord. A staff. The staff is to a shepherd like Moses, what a hammer is to a carpenter, or what a computer is to an IT technician, or what textbooks are to a teacher. Like the staff, that's the thing that Moses was the most comfortable with. That's the thing that Moses, I mean, he knew that boy could handle a staff like nobody. He knew how to handle a staff. That was his thing. And I love the fact that God says, let's start there, Moses, with what you have. I want to ask you, friend, what's in your hand? You think, oh, God can't really do anything with this. What's in your hand? What's your skill? What's your thing? What's your staff? What is it? Because that, my friend, is where God is wanting to begin in your life. Part of the reason why you feel like you're missing your destiny is because you're thinking, 
you've forgotten this very important truth. Ready? Your mission begins where you are and not where you're going. Should I say that again? Your mission begins where you are and not where you're going. You'll never get where you're going if you don't start where you are. I've got it. Look, here's this principle that Jesus gave to us. He said, if you're faithful in little, you've given much. That's a spiritual principle. We spend so much time, you know, dreaming about doing great things that we miss all the little things. I forget this really important principle. If I'm not faithful in this little thing, then what makes me think I'm going to be faithful in something big if it ever came? You see, God says, hey, Moses, what's in your hand? Give me that. Let's, let's start there. Don't undervalue the gift that you have to bring. Just let the Lord have it. Have you ever heard the story of this guy named Anna? You think, I'm not really doing anything important. Um, look at Anna. Look what he did. <laughs> Let me set this up a little bit. You go, this is random, Rouse. Why are you putting this in the sermon? It's, it's an example. Track with me. Anna, his name is found in this list of genealogy, in this list of names. And it's the part of the Bible, it's one of those parts of the Bible that usually we never read. Because whenever you start to see, what do you do when you see so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so? You're like, hey, short devotions today. Perfect. Hey, man, let's go. You skip over it to get to the good stuff. Except that here in this list of names, so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so, the Bible actually stops, puts a hard stop in place there, and gives us this little detail about this guy named Anna. You say, well, now, what is Anna's big contribution to redemptive history? What did he do that was so awesome that God saw fit to put it into inspired scripture forever and ever? What did Anna do? Well, look what Genesis 36, 24 says. So you have this guy named Zibian. He has two kids, Aya, and I don't even know how to say the first name. Aya, I guess. Aya and Anna. This is the Anna who discovered the hot springs in the desert while he was grazing donkeys of his father, Zibian. So what is Anna known for? He found a jacuzzi in a desert. <laughs> and this somehow is worthy of Scripture. We know nothing else about this guy. And what's really fascinating to me is it's the way that it's worded. It, it's as though it, the Bible doesn't want you to confuse this Anna with the other Anna who didn't do anything. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, don't, not that other Anna. He wasted his life. No, no, this Anna, he found a hot tub. This guy right here. This is the guy we're going to celebrate for all of eternity in the Bible found hot springs, and it's a desert. I'm thinking you don't want a jacuzzi in the desert, but he found it. Oh, I'm kind of having some fun. But you think that what you do isn't significant? You know what? I don't know how this fits with redemptive history. 
and nor do you, maybe you do, if you're a Hebrew scholar, you can figure it out better than I could. I got a feeling though, someday, someday, we're gonna get to heaven and we're gonna find out how those hot springs in the desert fit with the story. And we're gonna be like, oh, you're a not. You're the Anah that found the hot springs in the desert? So cool, I gotta have your autograph. Hey, Moses, sit back. I wanna get Anah's autograph over here, right? You're gonna find that out, but he had something to do with it. My point is, don't undervalue the gift that you have to bring. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Give it. Watch what God does with it. The second thing is let's not underestimate the power of the gift that's in your hand. And for this, we've got to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. You know this story. Most of you do. I'm sure it's a pretty well-known story. But I hope that uh, the familiarity of it doesn't cause to lose its impact in your heart. But John chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, look at this, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. <laughs> Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far they will go? How far will they go among so many? Jesus said, "Have the people sit down." There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down about. 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So not only did they not have enough food, they had extra food at the end. I love that about Jesus. Jesus gave Philip a heart attack. Philip had a bad day. Philip had a problem because Jesus gave him a problem. Hey, Philip, I want to feed all these people. And Philip does what you and I do. Freaks out. So Jesus, you've got to be kidding. There's no way. That's impossible. And you and I do the same thing. How about this? It costs 120 grand to put a kid through college these days. That's impossible. That's definitely not going to happen. We've been married for 15 years. We don't have a kid. We're never going to have a kid. That's impossible. You're a drug addict. You're a drunk. You're never going to be clean. That's impossible. Fill in the blank. We're put in Philip's position all the time. And notice... 
Jesus already knew what he was doing. I love that. Don't miss that. Can you see the smirk on Jesus? He's like, hey, Phil, let's feed all these people. <laughs> and then Philip, you know, wets himself over this. And I think Jesus is just having a good time. He's like, because Jesus, Jesus, it says that, didn't, I'm not making it up, right? Jesus says, I, he already knew what he was doing. Already knew it. I wonder if God puts you and me in the same spot. God already knows what he's going to do. But let's see what you do with this. Let's just see. Are you going to freak out? Or are you going to be faithful? Are you going to run? Or are you going to give me what you have? And you know, Andrew, he's no better. Can you sense the sarcasm in Andrew's voice? Hey, I got this kid. He's got a couple crackers and some tuna fish. But how far is that going to go? That's a great question, Andrew. How far will it go? How far will this gift go if I give it? How far? You know that how far it goes isn't up to you and me? Our responsibility is give it. God's responsibility is to see how far it goes. And if I worry about how far it goes, I can use that easily as an excuse to not give it. But my job is to not be concerned about how far it goes. My job is to simply give it. Here it is, Lord. I put it in your hands. The power of the gift is not in the gift. The power of the gift is in the one to whom I give it. I give this gift to God, and I say, here, you have it. You use it. And where it goes, that's up to you. But I'm going to give it all that I've got. It's kind of like bowling. You know, when you bowl, you release that ball. I can't promise you that you're going to get a strike every single time you throw the ball. But I can promise you this. You're not going to knock down any pins if you don't throw the ball. I can guarantee that. If you stand at the end of the lane and you keep the ball in your hands, you'll never knock down a pin. No chances ever. You got to roll it. You've got to release it. I've got to give this thing to the Lord. Don't underestimate the power of the gift that is in your hands, my friends. Don't underestimate the value of it. What is that in your hand? It's a staff. Hey, listen, God can do more in one minute than you can do in a lifetime. God can do more with a twig than you can do with the whole tree. God can do more with one dollar than you can do with a million dollars. It's not about the, the, the size or the greatness of the thing that I hold in my hand. It's about the size and the greatness of the one to whom I dedicate it. And I'm challenging you today. Give what you have to him and watch what he does with it. Stand in amazement. Because it's, it's cool what God does with it. You never know. Um, I'll just share this story. I don't have this in my notes, but I'll share it. It's, it's a fresh one. You know, uh, 10 or so years ago, 11 or so years ago, I announced, I said, I'm praying for a $500 motorcycle. And some people laughed at me because they said, you're not going to find a $500 motorcycle. But the Lord gave me one. Got a $500 bike. A couple of years later, felt the Lord saying, sell that bike, give the money to our kids in Kenya because we have had ministry there in Kenya for a while. And so I did. 
sold my $500 bike for 700 bucks. That's how the Lord works. Gave $700 to the kids in Kenya. Started saying, okay, Lord, well, I wonder what you're gonna do next. That was a nice ride. What's next? Somebody came up to me in church and said, I wanna, I wanna give you my motorcycle. So he gave me a Triumph Sprint. Rode that for a few years. So I, I got rid of a $700 bike, was given a $2,500 bike. And two years later, two years ago, actually, two years ago, I felt the Lord say, why don't you give that to this guy? There was a young guy that was having some financial trouble, so I gave it to him. He was able to sell that bike and buy a car and get out of debt, and it was really like a blessing, like a real huge blessing for him, and he's still driving the car, you know, so I praise God for that. And I thought, okay, well, that's good, Lord, but I started praying at that point. I said, God, it'd really be fun to have a, like a cruiser you know, like a Harley, like one of those low riders, something I can put my babe on the back and we can go get ice cream, that kind of thing. And can you see my wife as a biker, babe? That is so not her. So anyway, so we're riding on the Harley, right? I'm picturing, I'm just asking the Lord for that. Well, last week, week ago, two and a half, week and a half ago, a friend came up to me and he said, uh, hey, I want to give you my bike. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, you know, I know how you gave the other bikes away. And he said, that has just always inspired me for the last 10 years. I've, and I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking, if I ever had the chance, then I want to give you my bike. And so now I'm moving, and we've got a baby, and I just don't ride it as much anymore. So here you can have my bike. And you know what, friend? It's identical. It's what I've been praying for. Saddlebags. Big old heavy bike, bar in the back. My babe's going to look good riding on the back of that bike. It's going to be awesome as we ride that thing, right? And I took it on, I said, I'm going to take it on one condition. You need to know something, that I'm going to give this bike away as soon as the Lord tells me to give it to somebody. And he goes, this guy doesn't even know Jesus yet, but he says, I, I would expect nothing less. So, so he's given this to me with that understanding, and, and he and his wife are actually excited to see where it goes. Like, they're now part of the, of the bike blessing ministry, and, uh, and I told Karis last night, I said, I've already started praying. You know what I want next? I'm praying, <laughs> I'm praying for one of those trikes, one of those two, two wheels in the front and one in the back, and like a, it's like a little car. I'm praying for one of those next. But I, we'll, we'll get that after we give this bike away, I'm sure. You know, there's such, there's such freedom. You don't know how, I guess the point is, you don't know how far it goes. I had no idea that this guy was inspired by that. I had no idea. I'm just doing my thing. It's not a big deal. It's kind of fun, actually. It's really, you know, they're only motorcycles. They're not that, it's not like they're life-changing or anything. It's just fun. And yet it's, and yet this guy is watching this, and he's seeing God at work in this simple little thing. You have no idea how far the gift goes that you bring. That's the point. Let's not undervalue it, and let's not underrate it with the power that it has. As we close this morning, I want to return us back to the story of Moses, because the story doesn't end where we left him. So Moses, God 
convinces Moses. You know, he has this whole conversation. Moses, you're the guy. I'm telling you, Moses, you're the guy. And here's what Moses says in verse 13. These words actually really pierce my heart. Because Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. hear that? Can you imagine staring at the God of the universe and saying, just excuse me, God, but you're going to have to send somebody else. Wow. It kind of makes me wonder how many of the great men and women of God, and, and I just, this is pure speculation, but how many of the great men and women of God that, that maybe you're familiar with in the history of the church, how many of them were actually God's second choice? If he, if he had already asked somebody and they said, uh, excuse me, I want, I want to get a pass on this one, God. And God just simply found somebody who would say yes. And here's what I love about the grace of our God. Because God actually negotiates with Moses. <laughs> the God of the universe negotiated with Moses. A, a what? A, he's, he's a guy standing in the desert, and God's negotiating with him. And, and, you know, God could have just said, that's it, Mo, out of the pool. Drop dead now. You're done. He doesn't do that. God graciously brings Moses along, and, and Moses eventually gets convinced, okay, okay, God, I'm in this, you're in this, God, okay, I'm, I'm willing. And then here's kind of how it ends in verse 20. It, the Bible tells us, so Moses took his wife and his sons, and he put them on a donkey, and he started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. I love that. Because at the beginning of the story, it's just my stick. And now he gave it to God, and now it's the staff of God. Like you gotta say that heavy, you know, God. And, and I say that about your gift. What's in your hand? As long as it's in your hand, you're right. It's probably not much. But give it to him and let it become the staff of God. And you know that humble little stick? You, you know that's the same one that Moses held out over the Red Sea and the waters parted. That's the same stick that when all the Israelites were dying of thirst in the middle of the desert, Moses hit the rock and water came out of it. Same stick, but it's not just a stick anymore. It's the staff of God. And I'm saying don't underestimate and don't undervalue, don't underrate the gift that's in your hand. Give it to the Lord and let it become of God. And watch what he does with it. And don't try to control where it goes because how far it goes is not up to you. The only thing that's up to you is giving it. That's the only thing that's up to you. And watch what he does with it. See, I return us to this little illustration 
a moment ago, this is just a dried up thing in my pocket. But after soaking in water for the last 20 minutes, half hour, you know, it's, it's a washcloth. And I love that it's a superhero washcloth. That's kind of cool. We have a superhero washcloth. You know, this thing was missing its purpose. It was missing its purpose, dried up in my pocket. Its purpose was to be in the water, and now it begins to take shape and be what it was meant to be. And I'm saying, your gift is not doing any good in your hand. You've got to put it in the water. You've got to put it in the water. You've got to give it to the Lord, and then it will begin to take shape. And it will begin to find its purpose. And you'll say, oh, this is why. And maybe the reason why you haven't found your voice yet is because you haven't put it in the water. Because you think I have to hold it here and find my voice, and then I got to start. No, 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 no. Give it. And then you'll discover what its purpose is. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.